0: Welcome to Vertical Life Church. Happy Valentine's Day, right? This is a special day. This is the romantic holiday of the world. Now, I didn't know much about Valentine's Day, to be honest, the history of Valentine's Day. And so this week I did a quick web search to kind of see, you know, where did this whole thing begin and uh, according to uh, Wikipedia, because, you know, that's the most reliable source on the internet, uh, but I did verify this This is actually a thing, uh, Valentine's Day is no, also known as St. Valentine's Day, or the Feast of St. Valentine, and it's celebrated in many countries around the world. However, it's not uh, a public holiday in most of those countries. And so America is one of the select few that actually has it as a kind of a national holiday. But Saint Valentine's Day began as a liturgical celebration of one of, uh, in honor of one of the early Christian saints in the Catholic Church named Valentinus. Now, there have been several different martyrdom stories or how he was uh, killed for his faith that have been told over the years. But basically. Uh, the popular account of St. Valentine of Rome was that he was imprisoned for performing weddings for soldiers. Rome thought that men who got married made them weak because their hearts were torn and, and they cared more about their families than their country. And so they had made it illegal for certain soldiers to get married. And Valentinus was ignoring that law and marrying them anyways. And uh, uh, so while, especially during the, uh, the persecution of Christians under the Roman Empire... And according to legend, during his imprisonment, he healed the daughter of his jailer, uh, Asterius. And a recanting of the story, a recounting of the story states that before his execution, he signed a letter, your Valentine, as a farewell to his jailer. And so it's believed that since then, that's where we get the passing of Valentine's, the the cards, and it's also believed to this day that it was a first associated with romantic love in the circle of writers of history like Geoffrey Chaucer in the Middle Ages and uh, the tradition of courtly love. In the 18th century England, it evolved into an occasion where lovers expressed their affection for each other by presenting flowers, offering confectionery, or sending greeting cards affectionately called Valentine's. And so this is kind of where we get this holiday. Now, I wouldn't say that Valentine's Day is a big holiday in my household, in the Henry House, but nonetheless, you better believe that my three school-age children have to get Valentine's to pass out to each person in their class every year. This is like a thing that, that has to happen. It is not an option. And, uh, and so uh, my wife does an expert job. She's not here today. She's, we've been battling illness and sickness over the last couple of weeks, and, and she's got the flu, so if you could pray for her. Uh, she wasn't able to be here today. But she does an expert job helping each of my kids strategically choose which cards to buy. Because they have to get the coolest cards. And for them, it doesn't matter what's inside the card. It's the picture on the card that counts. and matters, right? That's all that matters. What is on the front? And, uh, and so she does a great job having them pick out the coolest cards, but in parental terms and in, in parent terminology, the coolest cards really equate to the cheapest ones they can get away with, right? So, so we're not spending 10 bucks on a pack of Valentine's, we're, we're going to go 99 cents and whatever you can do with that, you know, you, you can do that, but um, just being honest today. But, uh, but once we purchase those cards, she takes them uh, to the task of filling out the cards and addressing um, each person's name from the class, making sure no one gets missed. And uh, I'm thankful that the teachers now send home a class list, so at least you have everybody's name to kind of check off. But uh, even though every kid gets a card in the class, it's cute to see them do the very same thing I used to do when I was younger. I made sure that the best cards... Went to my favorite people, right? Like, like the, the one card I thought, man, that's the coolest card. Man, my best friend's getting that one, right? right? They probably could care less. But like to me, that, that is what I did. And, uh, and so though my kids haven't alluded to this this year, that this has happened before, um, I can remember even saving the most special card for someone else. Someone a little bit more significant, like the person I had a secret crush on. You know, and uh, one of my kids did this a uh, you know a year or two ago. They made sure that they reserved just one particular card for someone special, and uh, and so back then when I was little, I can remember that even though my little brain couldn't uh, process really even a fraction of what life was really like or how how love and affection actually works, the hope was for me that that one little simple gesture would connect the heart of that pretty little lady to me, and she would somehow like me back. That was, that was the goal, right? I'd give them this card. She'd open it up, and wow, love of my life right there in the kindergarten, you know? And it just, this, is, this is just what I, I remember. But of course, it never worked. And, uh, and so, um, you know, it's probably a good thing. But uh, I had no idea what those feelings really meant back then. But when that car didn't have the supernatural, magical effect that I hoped it would have, there was some disappointment. I mean, there, there was some struggle. I mean, the struggle was real for, for a kindergartner like me for maybe all of like five minutes until my mind got distracted with something else. But, but I can remember being a little heartbroken. Now, my kids aren't boy and girl crazy, praise God. I don't have to rein them in for that. But it's sweet to see how every once in a while... You're beginning to express those feelings of affection in the most subtle of ways. And I know only as they grow, that connection, that emotion that they feel is going to grow with them. And from the outside, looking at someone their age, a simple gesture like giving a valentine may not really mean that much at the age that they're in. But to the person making the gesture, to the person that's connected to that gift, it could mean the world. It could mean the world. And for those of you who are married, think back to that time before the I do's, even before the engagement, when you were just two nervous kids trying to get through a date without humiliating yourself, without ending in embarrassment. And I know for us guys, that's a bigger task to accomplish than for the ladies. But um, I can remember when I was dating Tony, every time I would serve her, either it was by opening a door for her or paying for dinner or giving her a gift to celebrate a special occasion, that it wasn't just for nothing. It wasn't just out of duty that I would do these things. There was something special happening deep inside of me. And the reality was that I would have done much, much more for her if i had had the means or courage to do it because of the love that I had for this woman. And even now, after the engagement, after we've said I do's and four kids later, I find myself in the very same place where there isn't anything I wouldn't do to show her how much I love her. Because for me... My life would be pretty empty if I didn't have her in my life. And I thank God for her daily. And if I knew back then, before we were married, what I know now, that I could love somebody as deeply as I love her today, I probably would have worked harder sooner to be the man that she needed me to be. You see, when you realize what you have, when you find something so valuable, like godly, sacrificial love, there really isn't anything you wouldn't do to acquire it, to keep it, to maintain it, no matter how uncomfortable or how costly. It's worth that much. And in our reading, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew calling a series, Confessions of a Sinner. We're in Matthew chapter 13 today. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells us two very short and simple parables in all of three verses beginning in verse 44 through 46. This is going to be our text today, Matthew 13, 44 through 46. And here's what Jesus says. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Here in the store we have treasure and pearls. Now Jesus, all through Matthew 13, prior to this passage, has been teaching us about the kingdom of heaven, what it's like, and and giving us glimpses of what the world will be like when the kingdom of heaven actually comes. And we know that the message Jesus gave his disciples as he sent them out to do miracles and and to heal the sick and to cast out demons and to uh, just share the good news, that the core of the message was that the kingdom of heaven has come, that the kingdom of God has come to the earth. The time of the arrival of the kingdom has finally come come upon us. The time of our salvation, the time of our hope, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was central to the teachings of Jesus while he was with us on the earth. Everything centered around the kingdom and preparing for the kingdom. And right here in the middle of these parables about the coming kingdom, he gives us these two short illustrations about the time before it's revealed about what's happening in the world. And I believe it has two applications for us to take away. The story about the treasure and the pearls. The first takeaway I see in the man who discovers the treasure and the merchant looking for pearls is that it's a picture of God. Excuse me. It's a picture of God. As we've seen over the last few weeks, Jesus has been teaching about the spiritual war that we're in between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Satan. And since Satan has hijacked the earth, the earth has been transformed into something other than what God originally intended in creation. And the people in the earth, because of sin, have been separated from God. But not only separated from him, we have become slaves to the enemy. Because Satan is now the one who rules over the world. And in the narrative of scripture, as you read it from cover to cover, you look through the lives of Noah, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, we see God has been continually searching for a people he could reconcile unto himself. A people who would love him of their own free will. That would just choose him. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 29 that God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And what we know through scripture is that even from the beginning... God knew his treasure was going to be out in that field. He knew it was going to be somewhere out in the field. He knew those priceless pearls were somewhere out in the sea. Even before the fall of mankind, God had looked through the corridors of time. And you know what he saw? He saw you. And he saw me. He saw everyone that would turn away from the kingdom of Satan And the sin that they pursued since they were born, because they were born into this sinful condition, he saw everyone who would turn to him if they were just given the opportunity. And like the man who found the treasure, he couldn't just take the treasure, even though he knew where it was, because the ground didn't belong to him. And he would have become a thief if the man had just dug up the treasure and ran with it. And the same is true with us. God couldn't just make us love him. Mankind dwelled in Satan's domain, and because God gave us free will in our creation, even though he made us in his image, that image was given free will, that we had the right to choose God or choose to walk our own way. And because God had given us that right, if he had taken that right away and forced us to love him, he would have become a thief, stealing back what was rightfully given to us, just like Satan had stolen the rights to the earth from mankind. God had no rights to our hearts. That is something that belongs to us because he gave us that autonomy when he created us. If God had just forced us to love him, that would have undone all of creation because the righteous and holy one would have become sinful just like us. The righteous God would become unrighteous. So like the merchant and the sailor, God devises a plan. God went into his treasury and said, what do I have that is valuable enough to purchase their freedom so that they have a choice, so they have opportunity to choose? What do I have that I could sacrifice that would be enough to secure the treasure and those pearls? And the answer was Jesus. That's the answer. God looked at his son and said, my most valuable possession I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to bankrupt all of heaven to guarantee that one day the treasure in the field and those pearls in the sea can be mine. Because when you are motivated by godly love, by selfless and self-sacrificing love, you're willing to stop at nothing to have and to hold on to what you find to be very precious. And so in Christ, we see through the unfailing love of God, God puts his people, his treasure before himself. God sends Jesus as the payment to secure the rights to the land and to buy the pearl and to have privilege to dig up the treasure. And by doing so, he became wealthier than ever before as the heavenly treasury now is being filled with sons and daughters. And it continues to be filled today as the gospel is preached all over the world. And it will continue to fill until the day Jesus returns to claim once and for all what is rightfully his. Oh, the first application for us is this represents God. The second takeaway is that it's also a picture for us. It's a picture of us. You see, deep within the human soul, since the very fall of mankind, since that first fracture when sin enters into the world, deep within us has been this quest for meaning. Because that's what was lost at the fall. Our meaning, our purpose when we were separated from God. And there have been many who have tried to answer this question, what is the meaning of life? Why do humans exist? What's the purpose? Why do we even breathe the air? What is the reason why we are here? And in so doing, over the course of thousands and thousands of years, many different schools of thought have arisen and developed in an attempt to answer this question. In our world today, we have uh, schools of thought such as Platonism, Aristotelianism, Cynicism, Sirenicism, Epicureanism, Stoicism, Classical Liberalism, Kantianism, Utilitarianism, Nihilism, Pragmatism. Existentialism, absurdism, secular humanism, logical positivism, postmodernism, naturalistic pantheism, Mohism, Confucianism, and legalism, just to name a few. All trying to answer why do we exist? And these are just some of them. These are the philosophies of the world. It's like our world. Since our separation from God has been searching the field, looking for that priceless treasure only to dig empty holes, searching for that priceless pearl in the sea only to find cheap imitations. Everyone is looking for the gate to the kingdom of heaven, but it remains hidden to those who are blinded by the kingdom of our enemy. Because deep down, what I think we all know, even though some try so very hard not to admit it to themselves, is that we know what the meaning of life is. It is loving and being loved by God. That's the meaning of life. That's the purpose of life. It's having a relationship with our creator. And what I believe this is a picture of, these two very simple stories for us, this picture for us is the aha moment. The aha moment when you realize the truth of the gospel. See, God uses the gospel like a treasure map with the X leading you to the treasure except the X is more like a cross and the treasure is what we call salvation. When you realize that you who are a dirty sinner, you've committed more crimes against God, who is the creator of all that is seen and unseen, who is righteous and holy and perfect, you have committed more crimes than can be counted by human means. When you realize that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, all those lies you've told, all the times you've stolen, those times you've cheated, those times you've betrayed, those times you've acted out of anger and hatred and bitterness, those times you've shed, innocent blood and made others be accountable for your mistakes, every time you've chosen to live outside of God's will for our lives, every wicked thought and every evil deed, that none of that matters anymore. None of it. When you understand the height and the depth and the expanse of God's grace and love toward you, when you finally comprehend what God is offering you, complete and total forgiveness of every wrong, and all you have to do is believe? And are you kidding me? We look at people who do far less in our world and expect far greater from them. We want to hang Governor Snyder because of an oversight in the government. And we've done all this against God, and we just have to believe for forgiveness. I look at God, and I say, God, do you know what I've done? Do you understand what I've become, who I've hurt? Do you understand what I'm capable of? Do you know that I'm probably going to continue to make the same stupid mistakes time and time again, the same dumb decisions all of the time, yet all you say, all you want from me, let me make sure I have this right, is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I get to be saved? Like, seriously? I mean, when you think about it, it's almost absurd. How incredible is that? How incredible And not just that we get to be forgiven and saved, but that that loving relationship that's been withheld from mankind for so long because of sin is now yours to freely enjoy. It's now available to you and to empower you to live a different life where your past can no longer define you. And your future is defined by God's good plans and purposes for your life. God who was so distant before it, now he's going to come live inside. The God of the universe is going to come live inside of you. Because you believe. You're separated by sin, but now because of belief, you are reunited again. Hallelujah. He's going to live in you and walk with you through this life to teach you, to encourage you as he leads you in his love. And to add more frosting to the cake, I'm a frosting guy. When people scrape the frosting off, I scoop that up and plop it on mine. That's, I, that's what I do. So for me, frosting is the best part. So to add more frosting to this cake, what is... Not just the salvation in the relationship, but what's waiting for you on the other side of this life is the kingdom of God where you get to live forever and forever and forever, never to feel sorrow, to feel pain, never to mourn again, never to be sick again, never to experience loss ever, 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 ever again. There is no ending to this relationship, to this love, to this grace that we get to experience. You will know complete and total peace forever and forever with a God who's watching over you like a father watches over his child. When you have that ha moment, when you're awakened to the love of God in your life, the only response to it is tell me what I got to do. I'll do anything. I'll give anything to possess that treasure. Lord, I surrender. I give you my life. Some have called this the great exchange. He takes our sin, but then He gives us His righteousness. This is what fuels the joy of the Christian life. But so often, we forget. The benefits of our salvation. Psalm 103, verse 2, the psalmist says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. You see, we live in a world that is in a constant state of searching for meaning, and sadly, many Christians live like they're still searching to. It's because we forget what we have in Jesus, and what's waiting for us on the other side. See, this is why we celebrate holidays like Valentine's Day, to help us remember what we've been given and the blessings that we have in our lives. It's important that we don't just go through the motions and actually take time to pause and remember so that we can keep our hearts engaged to the hope that we have. King David in Psalm 63 He writes this, he says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. For you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Today, if you are struggling with purpose, if you're struggling with meaning, maybe you have an overall dissatisfaction with your life. I get it. I've been there. Maybe you've had a multitude of trials and a string of negative circumstances lately. Life just doesn't seem to be going well. And you're at the place where you are questioning what is true anymore. Does all this faith stuff even matter? Let me encourage you today to remember, remember we were created to love and be loved by God. Hallelujah. And he has invited us into a relationship where we can know him and be known by him. Choose to remember what he's done for you. And what that means for you. And like David, engage your heart in worship as your soul searches for the Lord to keep you connected to the understanding of who God is, what he's done, and what you mean to him. If you never sing to him, begin to sing today. If you normally sing, then sing like never before. Let your heart move you to dance or lift up your hands to remember all the good things that he has done for you. Maybe you're here today and you understand the pain of a wandering soul. You know there's something more to life, but you haven't been able to find it in any and all of your experiences might I suggest is because you are searching for meaning and satisfaction in the world. You're getting caught up in the philosophies that this world is trying to create to solve the riddle of of all time. You're searching in your career, your social status, your popularity, your relationships. Maybe you're searching in your prescriptions or your subscriptions. But you're searching in a desert where you're going to dig up empty holes. That's you. You will never be satisfied because this world is a desert masquerading as a dessert and it will always leave you thirsty. Always. Choose today to follow the cross to the treasure. Let Him lead you to the treasure of salvation. Let Jesus be the one to come in and change your life and to lead you into true purpose and meaning. Jesus said, anyone who seeks me will find me. If you draw close to me, I will draw close to you. And so this Valentine's Day, this Valentine's Day, let it be the day that you learn about true love, where you can know your purpose and meaning because it's found in Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is believe. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes in this moment. Father, we're here before you. And God, we are so thankful for the best Valentine gift we could ever receive. You sent Jesus to open the door for us to be able to choose. Like my kids give a valentine to spark something in the heart of their friends or their crushes. You sent Jesus to spark something in the heart of the people who would turn to you. And God, I ask that faith and hope would rise in this place. God, let those who are struggling feel the warmth of your presence in this place. God, let the lies of the enemy be done away with, Lord, and let Jesus and your presence and your love fill this place. If you're here today and you know that you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, a true, authentic relationship with Jesus. You have been separated. Maybe you've been trying to live righteously through religion. You've been trying to follow rules to somehow lead you to purpose and meaning, but you've been left empty. I'm going to challenge you today to just let your soul finally find the answer by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Scripture says the way to do that is through prayer, that if you pray and you declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you believe that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. You will become something new. God will make his home in your heart. But it's your choice. He died to give you the opportunity to choose. And today I pray that you choose Jesus. If that's you here today, I'm going to invite you just to pray this prayer with me to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Right now in this place, just repeat after me. Say, Father in heaven, I know I've sinned and we've been separated. But thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Please forgive me of all that I've done because I'm trusting in your son, Jesus. I believe he died on the cross and that three days you raised him from the dead and that now I can have new life in him. I declare him as my Lord and Savior from this day forward. Come live in me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name.